Hello. And welcome to the January 2009 edition of Ordinary Means. This is a podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Nolan, here with Matt Bowling. Congratulations, Sean. You said 2009. I thought for sure we're going to have to start over again. <laughs> we're going to have to do a second take, or a 30-second take. What you don't know, uh, oh, oh uh, faithful listener, what you do not know is that this is the fourth take of this intro uh, that we have done. And it hasn't been because I didn't say 2009. It's been because Matt's been coughing. Uh Sorry. That, if that, I had a cough button, it would be fine, but I don't have a cough button. So I'll try and keep my hand right on the microphone cut switch, and uh, if I think I'm going to cough, I'll, I'll try and cut myself yes. off. <laughs> be careful there. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Don't, uh, don't, don't hurt yourself. We, we would like you on here for the next podcast. Well, I, think the, a mute, I think there's a mute button in Skype. Yeah, right there. I'll just keep it right on mute. Yep, okay, here we go. On mute. And then we'll just hear the click. We'll hear the click of your mouse and you'll go silent. Perfect. So, the the other reason we had to do a couple takes is we were talking about Facebook. Uh, apparently, and I don't know if any of our three listeners uh, use Facebook, but if some of our Facebook uh, some of our listeners do use Facebook, uh, Matt and I were just searching for each other on Facebook, and we couldn't find each other. But we did find that there is an ordinary means uh, group on Facebook. Didn't know this. Uh, we didn't set it up. Uh, somebody else did, and if you are that someone, thank you. Uh, but that group is out there on Facebook. So, hey, go go join it. Uh, then you can poke us. Uh, it sounds bad. Don't As long as it's not with a sharp object, I'm sure it's fine. But, comments uh, on the blog work, too. Yeah, comments on the blog are, are ideal. So we are now... I see every every episode, Matt, I think we're on something new. It's uh, nice. You know, when when do we get the Ordinary Means Twitter account? Oh. Is that is that coming? Oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, one of us will have to go... One of us will have to get one of those, those fancy phone doodads where we're always online. You know, we can, we can Twitter that we're... Uh, in the restroom, things like that. That'll, uh, that'll be. Isn't that isn't that essentially what Twitter is? It just you can tell everybody everything you're thinking at all times. Yeah, I mean it's a character limitation, and it's sort of like you know your status on Facebook. Um, but it's it, the most interesting use I've heard of it yet uh, was uh, a believer in Egypt who was arrested for their faith, and uh, he um, uh, to his Twitter account he posted arrested exclamation point. And then when he was released, um, he did something like free, hmm. which I thought was uh, an interesting um, technological way to let everybody know sort of what you're, uh, you know, what's going on with you. The uh, I sort of feel like in comparison to that, if I let people know that I'm drinking a cup of coffee and talking with the church secretary, that that's pretty f- inconsequential, actually, hmm. compared to arrested and freed. I don't think anybody needs to know uh, that much detail about my life. About your life. Yeah, can we uh, can we pause just before uh, we preach a sermon on Sunday morning to, to type into our iPhone uh, preaching? I'm, I'm currently preaching a sermon. Um, now, why would anybody, though, be reading our Facebook while we're preaching a sermon? Shouldn't they be in church? Well, yeah, I mean, if you put something out there on Twitter and Facebook and somebody and five people pull their iPhones out because they've gotten an update, I don't think that's good. You've probably <laughs> during, distracted During church. You've distracted them from the ordinary means, which would be like the anti-goal that we have. That would be the anti-goal. Uh, not the anti-Christ, but the anti-goal. Well, uh, we're going to continue a conversation today that we began last month in December a uh, conversation on what we're calling gospel dependence. Uh, if you'll remember, if you haven't listened to our December podcast, uh, hit pause right now. Really, hit pause right now and go back and listen to our December podcast. Uh, this is That's where we, we set this all up. But if you're uh, like us and you're really feeling lazy right now uh, because it's snowing outside, is it snowing outside for you, Matt? It's actually currently sunny on ice at the moment. It's been a very interesting week for us. However, they say via winter storm watch that we're to expect three to six inches of snow between midnight and uh, tomorrow night. Ooh. 
So, um, and here in our fair city, Seattle, um, they don't believe in snow plows, salt, or sand. So uh, my wife is actually marooned at the bottom of a hill at our house with her van. I managed to squeak my car out yesterday. But I'm going to pick up tire chains this afternoon just so we retain mobility in the midst of an immobilized city. And I thought four-wheel drive was necessary out here. I guess it's more necessary in Seattle. On Sunday, the only people who got out of our street were the people with four-wheel drive. I watched the uh, the neighbor try and take his wife, who's a nurse at the local hospital, uh, in their front-wheel drive car. And after he put the car across the street, uh, that's not the way it's supposed to go. It's supposed to go up and down the street. Um, after he put it across the street, he backed into the driveway and promptly got into the four-wheel drive, and that actually went okay. Okay. The only the only front-wheel drive people got out yesterday because we got some bare patches, and one of my neighbors put some uh, kitty litter down, which was nice to drive in, but makes sort of a mess on the floor. It, well, it does. It does make a mess. We've had to use kitty litter to get out. Uh, our our garage is – this is all information that our three listeners really do not want to hear. But our garage is uh, on the north side of our house, so it's often very icy when we pull out of the garage and we've gotten stuck. And, yeah, kitty litter is – it works, but it's an absolute mess. Um, so we're, Matt and I are feeling lazy sitting in waiting for snow. Actually, I have snow right now. It's snowing at the moment. Um, but if you're lazy like us, uh, we'll just give you a, we'll give you a review. How about that? That'd be good. Of last month. We talked about gospel dependence and what we did is we looked at, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Larger and Shorter Catechism, and we gave you sort of an outline of where this phrase, ordinary means occurs, and, um, the point we made was that nowhere in there does the uh, do, did the Westminster divines ever confuse the ordinary means of grace, or what the confession calls it, the ordinary means of salvation, uh, with works that we do, works of obedience, that the divines always uh, distinguished between word sacrament and prayer and uh, me going and helping the poor. And, and related to the point we're going to think about some this, this month in our podcast, uh, this is important because um, as much as uh, the people that we would be tempted to gently criticize as brothers and sisters who would be very um, non-ordinary means oriented, um, for those of us who are ordinary means oriented, we can think of it as we're on God's side, we're doing his work in his way, and we can very, very easily um, get proud mm-hmm. um, can very, very easily uh, assume, because we're doing it the right way, that we don't have to be wise in the way that we go about using the means. Um, and we can assume, as we look down our nose at other people, that God, uh, we, we should expect extreme success because we're doing it God's way. And we think that we've put the quarter in the slot machine and we've pulled the handle, the ordinary means handle, and we should expect great results. And uh, all of that, of course, is opposed to the idea of the ordinary means. We're not obligating God. Uh, we're submitting to God by using the ordinary means. Yes. Uh, that they are not a, they're not a work that we do so that we might boast in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but or obligate God with them. Yeah. 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 We're not, we can't, we're not putting God under, uh, under obligation by doing, uh, by doing these things, by sitting, uh, under good preaching, by praying to him. Um, you know, prayer does not uh, move the hand of God. Uh, God moves the hand of God. Prayer says, I'm dependent on the moving of the hand of God. Uh, so it's not, we could say it this way, um, the ordinary means are not a work that we do, uh, but they're a participation in something that God is doing through his word. Well put. So, so that's what we talked about last week, uh, last week, last month, and um, our essentially our thesis was that the the ordinary means are just that they're they're a participation in what God is doing. They are uh, actually the way God works in our life, and that by participating in the ordinary means of grace, the ordinary means of salvation, what we're saying is, I depend on Jesus Christ. Uh, my life is rooted in the gospel. Without uh, without God and his grace, I would be nothing 
Uh, I am nothing. I can do nothing apart from him. And therefore, uh, I ha- this is how I, this is how I cling to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, by coming back to the preaching, by coming back to prayer, by coming back to the sacraments, I'm saying, I'm saying, oh, I need God so much. Um, and so they're, they're acts of dependence. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, by the priority of them in our lives, we're indicating that I can't do this. My ways will fail. The only hope is your ways, and you're working through your ways. Say that again. It, it, it's, it's a personal statement as a believer and as a, a minister. Um, my ways will not work. I will submit to your ways, though they are, as Paul tells us, foolishness to the world. A man standing up in front of a group of people flapping his gums about a reality that is not perceptible by the fingers and the eyes uh, is a bizarre way to bring about the transformation of the world and the transformation of individuals. And yet we come by faith and we say, my ways will fail. Your ways may seem odd to me, but I'll submit to them and I'll depend upon you uh, to change me and to change others through uh, these ordinary means. You know, you say that, Matt, and I think of the the image that comes to my mind is Gideon. And uh, and his... Why his, Gideon? Uh, the, uh, with his, his, his armies... Mm-hmm. And and he said, you know, go down to the river, and those that lap versus right, those right. that scoop. Yep. And got to uh, get him down three hundred, which seemed preposterous odds. Yeah. Preposterous odds. And that is that is the image of us when we come through the ordinary means. We're laying down our strength, mm-hmm. or or the things that we think make us strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because really, we're many we're, times interpreted by the world as what's strong. Yes, personality. Yeah, and we're laying those down, and we're saying, "I'm going to do something really silly right now. I'm going to start talking to a guy who isn't in the room with me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm right. going to I'm going to get on my knees. I'm Physically. going to yeah. fold my hands and I'm going to close my eyes, and I'm going to start talking to a guy who isn't in the room with me." And that is going to well. Who is I'm being, I'm being literal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, God is omnipresent, right? But I'm doing this, and I'm what am I? I'm laying down my strength, and I'm taking up the the strength of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we haven't made this point strong enough, that is the gospel. Mm-hmm. So the ordinary means are all about the gospel. Absolutely. There, there's nothing. There's nothing separating them from uh, uh, from the grace of God, and that's that's why we made the point about work. Mm-hmm. Yep. They point us towards the gospel. They tell us where to go, where to go to uh, after we have reapprehended the gospel. That's what God's trying to do um, in the ordinary means. So this month we're going to take we're going to take that and we're going to take it just a little bit further, um, and we're going to ask the question: How does if, if this is about if the ordinary means are about what we're calling gospel dependence? Uh, how does how how do rather how do the ordinary means um, teach us that dependence? And uh, what we're going to suggest today is that um, is that the gospel, through the ordinary means, uh, actually offends us. And I think mm-hmm. this is this is our first point uh, uh, here this month is that the gospel offends our independence. So the gospel teaches dependence mm-hmm. by offending our independence. So what what do we mean by that? Um, passage uh, passage that comes to my mind is Luke seven, uh, mm-hmm. where we where we have Jesus saying that the gospel is offensive. Uh, this is where uh, Jesus comes. I'll I'll read it to us. Luke seven, starting in verse twenty one. At that time, uh, Jesus cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. He gave sight to many who were blind. 
he he answered and said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then Jesus adds these words, he says, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now, at first, uh, you know, first glance, you're going to say, who is going to take offense at a guy that is doing so much good? Mm. Who, who's going to be hurt or, uh, or disinterested bothered. or yeah. Yeah, bothered by a guy that's healing people and he's making them well and he's giving sight to the blind? Um, well, ask yourself, the, the answer is you ask yourself this question. How many of us would like to be labeled uh, unclean, uh, evil, uh, blind, deaf, uh, dumb, stupid, or or poor? Or to put it in the uh, the American male, the most offensive thing mm. for an American male is to be perceived as as weak. Okay. How how many of us, you know, raise raise your studio audience, raise your hands. How many of of us would like to be labeled those things? Right. But if we would have Me, pitiful, poor, and blind, come on. But if we would have the gospel preached to us, if we would take the gospel, the first step in understanding the gospel is confessing that we are weak and poor and dumb. And this is why Jesus came to these people. Uh, this is why Jesus demonstrated, alongside the preaching of the gospel, why he did these signs and wonders, was this was a picture that these are the people who need the gospel. These, these are these sick people, these decrepit people, these, these dirty people are, are who we are, meaning Everybody. We are all sick and dirty. And, you know, this is Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, there's none who does good. There's none who seeks for God. One of the uh, community group leaders in our church um, has been in increasing measure um, understanding this and applying this as he leads his group. And uh, there's a delightful older woman in his particular group who, because of her long standing with the church and her delightful little personality, and she's just a little, she's wonderful. And um, but the community group leader who loves the woman, and the woman loves the community group leader. The community group leader says, "Now, now you all remember that Mrs. So and So, she is a dirty, rotten sinner, right? And <laughs> Mrs. So and So is learning to not get offended at that." And everyone else is getting less shocked at it. Um, we really need to sort of get over our sense of uh, the personal holiness of people and realize that young or old, uh, from churched background or from an unchurched background, um, the gospel I'm finding, and this is just as our people minister here, um, makes sense to pagans. But to culturally religious people, it's just simply too offensive. It's it's too. What do you mean? I'm a dirty, rotten sinner? Come on! And it's a it's a smug self righteousness. And you're you're right on, Sean. That our job as preachers is to lay before people a gospel that offends them every week, that reminds them you are weak. And this is why it's so difficult. If you'll allow me a short diatribe. The reason it's so difficult, I think, in America to proclaim the gospel to people is because the pagan culture is all about the entire intent of most public school education is to convince a child um, that their highest need is self-esteem and that they're okay. And so there you have an inevitable cultural clash between the gospel and the, the the regnant culture that's out there, the overt teaching that comes to people that the most important thing that can possibly happen to me, the most valuable thing I can have is to believe that I'm okay. And Jesus says the opposite. The most valuable thing you can have is to realize that you're desperately not okay. But you can't stop there. Right. You, you've got to take that and say, but Jesus is 
okay, he's perfect, and he is my righteousness. Absolutely. And that God receives me abundantly. Rich, we just looked at this in the in thinking through the gospel for real life by Jerry Bridges last week, that we're richly welcomed into the intermediate state, not because of how we've done, but we're richly welcomed upon our entrance into the kingdom of God in that fuller sense of the intermediate state, not because of how we've done, uh, how we're doing or how we're going to do, but because Christ did perfectly for us. And yet the, the public school is teaching, the public school system you and I both both went through, and I'm yeah. sure you and I had plenty of those uh, leadership classes where they, they teach believe and achieve. You know, if you can, if you can uh, believe it, you can achieve it, um, is essentially teaching us I'm okay because I'm okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it struck me recently, I don't know if there's a new... Uh, swing this direction in in our culture but i've noticed a lot of movies lately where the theme of the underlying theme of the movie is you're really not that bad you know mm-hmm. at heart you're basically a good person you know great great movie um really really enjoyed it was uh, penelope have you heard about this movie uh, this is a movie uh, produced by uh, reese witherspoon's production company and uh, she uh, uh, it's it's a it's a great movie. It's a it's a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, very very cute. Uh, Ricci. Uh, what's uh, can't remember Nicole. her. Uh, no 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 no. The uh, the actress. Although I'm sure Nicole Ritchie's been in some movies, uh, but the the other one, the one who was in the Woody Allen film, I can't remember her name. Uh, Christina Ricci. Okay. Uh, is. A gal who is born with a curse on her, and she's basically this beautiful girl who has a pig nose. Hmm. And so the the whole movie, she's trying. The family is trying to get somebody to fall in love with the daughter, so that the uh, so that the curse will go away. Huh. And it's interesting that the and yet it's it, like I said, it's a great movie. It's an enjoyable movie. It's a family movie. You know, loved every bit of it. But the uh, but the moral has attached to it this idea that everyone is basically uh, good in themselves, and uh, so I, I encourage you to go watch it and and think about that and, and dialogue about that. I think if anything, that movie provides a great opportunity to talk about those kinds of things. You know, mm-hmm. you watch the movie, ask you know why was the curse on her? It's a fairy tale, you know. Why was the curse on her? Uh, how is she released from the curse? I won't give away how she's released from the curse. Um, obviously, I think we can all assume she's released from the curse. Uh, I can sh- I can share that. I'm not giving away um, anything. Every fairy tale has to have a happy ending. Uh, but talking about those kinds of things, I think, would be you know make for great discussion. No doubt. Uh, but then relating that to the topic we're talking about today. Uh, where where is our dependence is our dependence in me and what i am capable of that i can achieve these things that i can achieve the ends to which i set my mind or is my dependence completely other you know we talk about theologically we talk about that alien righteousness mm-hmm. that righteousness that doesn't it's not ours um and yet by faith it is ours uh isn't it true that you know, my strength is is the same way. I have an alien strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an Absolutely. alien grace. It's even faith, in a sense, is alien because it doesn't come uh, from me. It's placed into me by the work of the Spirit. I have died, and yet Christ lives within me. Yeah. Now, uh, we wanted to we want to talk about this idea of of the gospel offending our independence. And I think we've addressed a little bit this, the legalist. And we all know the legalists in the New Testament are the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. And Jesus comes to the Pharisees and he says, you know, woe to you, excuse me, Uh, woe to you blind, excuse me. I need Don't my. Mind, Sean. I, He's choking at the moment. He'll I be right back with. <laughs> Perhaps one, you'd like a nice moment, Christmas please. Song. Could you hum a Could you hum a tune on the way? Hold on. 
Oh, wait, we're post-Christmas. We shouldn't be singing Christmas songs. Perhaps a Valentine's Day song would be appropriate. Yes, we're recording. If I knew a President's Day song, I'd sing it right now. <laughs> Don't you? Isn't there like a Martin Luther King Jr. song? Oh, that would be good. Yeah. Okay, I'm back. Uh, Pharisees. They they were the the wicked legalists. You know, Jesus reserves some of his harshest words for these guys. And as you said, Matt, earlier, this is this is the tendency um, among those in ordinary means circles mm-hmm. that you know we're conservative. Uh, we've got our doctrine worked out to the finest detail. Uh, we are master theologians of the third use of the law. You know, we're all about obedience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all about, you know, doing doing the right thing. The, the term that I hear a lot is, we're being faithful. Right. You know, and what, is that, what does that mean? Well, it means, for the Pharisee, it means I'm, I'm in my faithfulness, I'm trusting myself. Yep. If I just do, then. Yeah. Sort of an automatic um, approach. Instead of a dependent approach. The Covenanters were ordinary means kind of people, and um, you know what? They end up burned and um, imprisoned, and uh, ordinary means is no <laughs> is no refuge. Um, it's a it's an act of dependence, as you've said. To that legalist, Jesus comes with a gospel, and he says, it's completely free. You don't have to pay a thing. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it for you. I'm going to provide the way. I am the door. I am the water. You know, I'm the living water. I can provide you with this water free and of no charge. Come and buy. Come and buy. And the legalist looks at that. The Pharisee in all of us looks at that and says, that's offensive to me. You're not going to let me do anything? That's offensive to me. Come on, let me do something. I'd really like to feel good about myself. And if I contribute just a little bit to this, some of my wisdom, some of my creativity, then I'll feel better about myself. I'm not so bad after all. Now... That said, and that's a, that's something that I'm sure we'll come back to again over the course of the remainder of this podcast, over next month's podcast. That said, we also need to recognize that the gospel doesn't just offend the legalist. Uh, to the antinomian, which if you're not familiar with that term, it means anti-law or someone who comes to the gospel and says, you're right, it is completely free. And, and you're right, it's not about my works. And so you know what? I'm, I'm free to do whatever. I'm free to be a Christian. I'm, I'm free to, you know, I'm free to have a Bible study at home today with my, you know, with myself and my dog, uh, because I don't feel like going to church today. I've got that freedom in Christ to, mm-hmm. to be a Christian and, and not to be tied down to the, the religious rules of those Pharisee-like legalists out there. And the gospel comes there, and the gospel says, here's the power of obedience. And the antinomian says, excuse me? <laughs> you're, you're, you're asking me to be obedient because of the gospel? I thought I was free. I, you know, d- I didn't have to pay anything for this. What are you talking about? And, and you know, I'm free Paul, to do what I want. I'm free to do what I want. Paul comes in and he says, should, should we sin that grace may abound? By no means. You know, we, we are free to do the works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Absolutely. But, but that message doesn't come to the legalist. That message comes to the antinomian, and it mm-hmm. offends them. And you, Matt, you were making the point earlier, I, I can't remember if this was a, a Tim Keller point, um, about systems of merit. Right. Right. What was that you were yeah, saying? Keller talks about, and this is an essay that it's widely available on the internet. We can link to it on the on the uh, on the blog for you. 
But um, Keller talks about the fact that there are two themes to understanding the gospel, and I'm working from his essay, The Centrality of the Gospel, that we'll link for you um, up on the website. But there are two themes to the gospel, moralism or legalism on the one hand, and hedonism or relativism on the other hand. The gospel opposes both religion and religion. Um, religion and irreligion. Um, see, now, see do you hear that? Do you hear that? Tim Keller agrees with me. Yeah, he does. What, yeah, more, what more could yep. you argue with? Tim Keller agrees with me. There you go. Because basically what he's saying is that um, moralism or religion stresses truth without grace. It says that we can obey the truth in order to be saved. On the other hand, the relativist or the irreligious person, the, the antinomian style person, stresses grace without truth. Um, and so truth without grace is not really truth, and grace without truth is not really grace. Uh, Jesus was full of grace and truth, and so you have these two. You have these two twin statements um, that originally uh, came from C. John Miller, who taught uh, practical theology at Westminster Seminary in the seventies. He said, um, "Miller said, I'm more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. That's against antinomianism, and I'm more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope, and that combats legalism." Um, and so we've got to realize that both religion and irreligion, both legalism and antinomianism, can steal joy from the gospel. Um, and it, it's more obvious to me that the legalist does this, because you lose the joy of Christ keeping the law in my place. But for the antinomians, um, I think that, that it's missing out on the fact um, that God's law is the path of freedom, it's the path of liberty, it's the best that life can be lived. That there I see the love of God on display in telling me how life is best lived. It's my bowing before his superior, overwhelming wisdom to me, a creature made in his image. On the other hand, um, it offends the antinomian uh, because I we we didn't I don't think we quite got here. I think this is where Keller's headed. But the antinomian has a system of merit too. I don't mm -hmm. think it, I don't think it's as obvious. Right. Um, I think the the antinomian. If you say to an antinomian, you know, you're just trying to get to heaven by the things you're not doing. Uh, that's that's not going to resonate. Like, I don't know. Maybe it will. Maybe maybe it maybe that is helpful. Um, but the idea that and I think this is this is Keller. This might be from that same essay. Mm -hmm. uh, Keller talks about how both the legalist and the antinomian are trying to uh, to get something. They're trying to get what they want. Mm -hmm. The legal yep. the legalist gets what they want by doing something. The antinomian gets what they want by sinning. Right, right. Here's I'll give you the summary from him. Okay, from Keller on this essay. Here's what Keller says: To get the gospel is to turn from self justification and rely on Jesus' record for a relationship with God. The irreligious, the antinomian, don't repent at all. And the religious only repent of sins. But Christians also repent of their righteousness. Here's, uh, here's his summary. Without our knowledge of our extreme sin, the payment of the cross seems trivial and does not electrify or transform. But without our knowledge of Christ's completely satisfying life and death, the knowledge of sin would crush us or move us to deny and repress it. Take away either the knowledge of sin or the knowledge of grace, and people's lives are not changed. So the gospel is not that we go from being irreligious to being religious, but that we realize that our reasons for both our religiosity and our irreligiosity were essentially the same and essentially wrong. We were seeking to be our own saviors and thereby keep control of our own life. When we trust in Christ as our Redeemer, we turn from trusting either self-determination or self-denial for our salvation, from either moralism or hedonism. 
And the ordinary means comes in there, and it says, depend on God. So exactly. That, so that the ordinary means is not, it's, it's neither. It's not legalism. It's not antinomianism. It's, it's not even, I think you were saying this earlier, it's not even halfway between. But it's, Precisely. but it's, it's, com- it's a completely other, uh, other thing. Yeah, in in this essay that Sean and I are working from that he wrote for, I think you probably heard last month if you listened to the podcast, he wrote it as a paper to present at uh, his Presbyterian meeting in Pennsylvania. Um, A lot of times I think that people look at ordinary means and they think, oh, here's another methodology for me to evaluate. Yeah. And what we're trying to say is that an ordinary means style of ministry is not a methodology. Yeah. We're, We're not trying to give you the next best model as to how to run your church. What we're trying to say is that God has a way that he has ordained to work in people's lives, and we either submit to it or we run from it. We submit to it and we say, okay, seems foolish to me. Sure seems like something else might work better uh, to me, but I'll submit to you. I'll, I'll submit to words, sacraments, and prayer because you'll say you'll use them. And it is that radical dependence, that radical uh, bowing and saying, you're wiser than I. Um, it's, it's really the same kind of response that the antinomian needs to the gospel. You're wiser than I. Hmm. Hmm. The God's means, that is the way God works, has nothing... I'm not. Sure. I think I want to qualify this sentence, but it has the way God works has nothing to do with what I would call human intervention. Um, it's it's distinguishing between maybe between the terms method and means. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't want to like you're, you were just saying, Matt. We don't want to see the ordinary means as a method. Right. Um, what is that? How can we break that down? Well, we could say the means are God working. I'm just it's 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 like saying you know I'm going to be. Uh, we were talking earlier. Uh, my family's going to be going to the UK uh, this next summer, and one of the ways we may travel is by ferry. Uh, and so when I Wings on the back, and all of you kind of hold on to the name, something like that. Sorry, <laughs> no, they, they, they kind of in the water. Yeah, the whole deal, right? Uh, but fer- ferrying in a boat <laughs> over from uh, from Dublin to Wales, and one of the uh, uh, one of the things you might say, you know, after you've put your family on the ferry and you've uh, come from Ireland to Britain. And you've gotten off the ferry, you, you say, I just traveled to Britain from Ireland. Well, the fact is, you didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if we're going to make, if we're going to, hopefully this analogy works, I'm sure it'll break down at some point. But uh, the fact is, I didn't do anything. I didn't travel from Ireland to Britain. I stepped on a ferry and I stepped off a ferry, but the ferry did all the work. Mm. And it's similarly, when we talk about the ordinary means, we're talking about you're just stepping on what God's doing. This is um, Eugene Peterson uses this in his uh, in his book for pastors. He talks about um, the con- in the contemplative pastor. Eugene Peterson talks about when a pastor goes and visits someone, it's not the pastor going figuring out what's wrong and then fixing it. It's the pastor going figuring out what God's doing, and then joining in the work. Mm-hmm. And similarly, the ordinary means are not me seeing a problem in my life and and fixing it by the ordinary means. This is the, the 21st century view of preaching. You know, it's, what does this preaching do for me? Mm-hmm. Uh, the 21st century view of, of worship music, you know, is it, does it move me? You know, will it fix me? Is it something that I can do to fix me? Because if it isn't, then I don't want to do it. Well, that that is completely self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. And what we're saying, the ordinary means are, you're just stepping on God's boat. This is what God is already doing. God already said, 
I'm going from from Dublin to uh, to Fishhead uh, on or Fishguard. That's the other the, the other port. I'm going from Dublin to Fish uh, to Fishguard. You know, at, eight, at starting at eight a.m. on such and such a day, this is what I'm doing. You're mm-hmm. either aboard or you're not, or you're mm-hmm. in the water. You're swimming. Right. Um, whereas a method, you show up in Dublin, and uh, and you read the handout, and you get in the the paddle boat, and you you start rowing, mm-hmm. or pedaling, or whatever whatever means, or you know, or pull the engine cord, or whatever it is you're doing. That's methodology, getting from point A to point B by doing something. Mm-hmm. Whereas the ordinary means say, I'm going to get from point A to point B. In other words, I'm going to, I'm going to grow as a Christian, not necessarily by, by doing something, but by connecting myself to what God is already doing. And I have the faith to believe that God will, through my participation with him, grow me and bring me to new levels of obedience that I can't even comprehend right now. Mm-hmm. Sean, it just just occurred to me um, that w- what you've just described is in part what's going on in the American Evangelical Church. Mm. Uh, in the turn towards mysticism, um, much of the American Evangelical Church has decided we will continue to keep with our own inventions, with our own ways of doing things. Um, and it, it might be worthwhile even next month to continue just on that theme and just I've got some some thinking that I've done uh, paper that I hope to write on why mysticism actually makes sense for the next step in the American evangelical church and it might be helpful not just to our regular listeners but to other folks just to, to distinguish as we see it in action as history is being made right now in the American evangelical church in this turn towards mysticism it makes perfect sense to me that this would turn what happened because it's the continuation of desiring an experience with God, uh, desiring to do it by my own way. And this is what's left. This is what, this is what remains. It's the only option available. And there's not enough content in people's lives, enough biblical content to know of its danger and to know that it's actually something that's pagan, not Christian. Um, and that's a great danger, I think, for the American church. But on the other hand, from a historical standpoint, it makes absolutely perfect sense. It's a continuation of the same theme. Um, but I'm not. But I'm fearful that much of the American church doesn't have a large enough perspective to realize that that is a methodology. Hmm. Well, it's it's reli- it's religiosity. It's just a. Uh, uh, it's maybe a, a clean cut. Um, evangelical religiosity as opposed to a high church catholicity mm-hmm. um, yeah. yeah the 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 american church you know tends to a self-help mm-hmm. um very methodological as my uh, two and a half year old niece who's now quite a bit older than that used to say by self <laughs> That's that's our basic bent in terms of church. We can figure this out. We're yeah. we're we're we're. It's nice that you're out there, God, and, but we'll find a way to minister to people. Thank you very much. Hmm. Hmm. Let's uh, let's give one example before we close uh, of of what this looks like. Um. You, you get asked the question, "What is a what does a Christian look like?" If you if you ever get opportunity to talk to a, a non-Christian um, in your workplace, in your which family. We, which recommend happening frequently. Yeah, we, we, we're all for relationships with non-Christians. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we would like to pop the, the Christian bubble. Um, yes. I would, I very much, whenever a, a family Christian bookstore closes, I, I cheer because it's <laughs> just a little bit more of that bubble popping. Um but the the idea, what does a Christian look like? And and often what you'll you'll hear if somebody comes to a Christian, a non Christian says to a Christian, "Tell me what a what is what it means to be a Christian." Uh, usually the Christian will do this. They'll go, "Um, um, <laughs> well, uh, I read my Bible. That's what a Christian looks like." Or I I pray. 
or I. And so what are, what are we doing when we say that, when we tell a non-Christian that a Christian is somebody who looks like this? Well, mm. we're, we're affirming for them something, aren't we? We're affirming what they probably already believe, that Christians are just people who follow a certain list of Code do's of ethics. Yes. Yeah, code of ethics, do's and don'ts, that Christians are basically religious and that their religion is just defined by different things. For some people, it's defined by smells and bells. For some people, it's defined by a quiet time every day, uh, by reading my Bible and praying. And when we say that to a non-Christian, I think we're saying what you think about us, non-Christian— is absolutely right. Um, we're just like that. It's and, about what we do and don't do. That's what marks it's, off. It's Christian. about what we do and don't do. Rather than letting the gospel be offensive and maybe saying, uh, you know, the non-Christian comes to you and they say, what is it, you know, what does a Christian look like? Um, y- you say, well, a Christian looks like somebody who doesn't read their Bible every day. And they maybe then they'll, the non-Christian will pause. <laughs> and they'll go, whoa, 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 hold on. A Christian, somebody who doesn't read their Bible every day, I thought you guys were into the Bible. Um, you know, I thought you guys were into doing the right thing. And you say, well, I, I would love to read the Bible every day, but, but the fact is, um, I miss it a lot of days. And... Um, you know, some days I read it, and I just don't get anything out of it. Some days I read it, and man, it just strikes me to the core of my being. But some days, you know, I'm reading Leviticus right now, and I'm just not, it's just not moving me. But mm-hmm. I don't think, you tell them this, you say, I don't think a Christian really is is about somebody who reads their Bible or doesn't read their Bible. A Christian is somebody who trusts in a God who saves people who don't read their Bible. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of a mutual friend of ours that uh, said that the best thing that could possibly happen for a mom with little kids to display the gospel to people is to have people come into her house um, and see her yell at her kids and then repent to her kids. Mm. That would be a, a much more effective witness to a non-Christian. That we're not these perfect people who always have the perfect house and the perfect children and the perfect relationships. We're desperately broken people who desperately hold on to a Savior. Mm. And because of that, because we are desperately holding on to the Savior, because we don't read our Bible every day, but God died for people, Jesus died for people who don't read their Bible every day, because of that, I do read my Bible. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I do uh, repent to my kids. I, I think that's a great analogy, Matt, because uh, where are our children going to learn repentance if their parents are just self-righteous? Absolutely. They're not going to learn it. Can my? This is a, a haunting question for me, but could my kids learn repentance from me? from me repenting to their mother, from me repenting in prayer uh, at the dinner table, from me repenting to them, from me repenting when we're praying after they're disciplined about my own sins and my own need for the Savior that's so parallel to theirs. Mm. Could they catch repentance from me or only catch self-righteousness from me? I I love telling my kids, uh, I say to my girls, uh, their mom says this too. They say, "We'll say, you know, Da, Da does the same thing after you know they've sinned, and we're we're talking to them right, about it. And right. Da does the same thing, and I love it. My girls will look at me like, go, no, you don't.' <laughs> and I'll say, "Yes, I do. You know, you just, you know, you daughter of mine, you just lied to cover up your sin. You know what? I do it too." Let me give you an example, and hopefully I have an example that's appropriate for their age. And well, and we we tend to pretty ours up more. We put it in nice packaging. Mm-hmm. We we don't sin as uh, obviously outwardly as our kids. But if we're teaching them to look at their hearts and what's going on there, surely First Corinthians ten thirteen applies to all of us that there's no temptation that sees us except what is common to man. 
Yeah. And we have those same temptations. And that's part of spiritual diagnosis is that if we as a pastor live at that level, practiced in our own families, then we'll minister at that level with everybody. Mm. And if we don't, if we don't personally have a radical gospel dependence that is personal first, that flows into our ministry, it will show everywhere. It'll, our independence will show. It's really an, an ordinary means of grace ministry is an overflow of my getting the gospel. Hmm. Hmm. And thus, it is a... It, the gospel ministry is, is an act of dependence. Absolutely. And that, that's why we're coming back to the ordinary means is because we're saying, I, I can't do this. And I know... Um, this is this is a point that we'll pick up, um, if not next month, we'll pick up the month after in this conversation on gospel dependence. The idea that the gospel is so for the weary, mm. the gospel is a a flagship for weary travelers. Uh, it is an oasis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is a place of rest and peace and grace in time of need. Refreshment. Yeah. Okay. Um, I tell the, the seminary students that I, that I worked with in Pennsylvania before I left the ministry there, and I've continued this theme in this ministry here in Seattle where I am. You can't give away what you don't have, and you're always giving away what you do have. So if you want to give away to people, to non-believers and to believers, uh, the gospel, then it's got to be the most pressing thing to you. And if it's not, you, you can't give it away. And you are giving something else away, though. It's unavoidable. Well, I think that's uh, that's a good place to uh, to end this month, and uh, we'll come back, Matt, and keep talking about this uh, gospel dependence and how that um, is what God is teaching us through the ordinary means, and how that works out uh, both in life and in ministry. Uh, so look forward to next month. Until then, uh, those of you listening, please uh, comment on the blog, uh, leave us your questions. Uh, we'll do another Q&A session here coming up in the, uh, this year. Now that we're into 2009, uh, make it one of your... Um, Make it one of your resolutions to listen to the podcast this year. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'd love for you to listen to the podcast, but if you make it a resolution, I'm sure you won't do it because nobody ever keeps their resolutions. Uh, well, uh, we've talked about gospel dependence, uh, so now by way of benediction, uh, go go forth, go be dependent. Uh, may the Lord richly uh, bless you and richly teach you uh, dependence on Jesus Christ, and may he do it through his ordinary means. Mm-hmm.